the church and you can see, uh, do you reckon that we got a bit worked up about the uh, Kids Day Camp? Right, we, we went crazy for it really, didn't we? I mean, th- this church is, is wild and the reason we left it up was I wanted you to see the amount of effort and work that went into producing uh, this incredible one day event. It was a lot more than one day in preparation. And I guess I want to think uh, with you this morning, uh, what is the right response to the message of Jesus that we've just heard? Our world would tell us that it's nothing to get too worked up about. So let's uh, pray and then have a look at what the Bible says to us today. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your presence with us today. We thank you that by the Holy Spirit, you're here. And we ask, Father, that you would be at work unblocking ears, opening spiritual eyes and softening our hearts, Father, so that we might respond with faith and trust to the message that we hear today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Uh, Our world is a a funny place at the moment in in so many different ways. Uh, You've heard this turn of phrase, uh, everything in moderation. Have you heard that turn of phrase? Um, Hands up all the people who enjoy French fries in moderation. Okay, hands up those people who would like to, but don't. No, keep them down. Okay, it's all right. Uh, it's, um, it's fascinating, right? So everything in moderation. And uh, although there's a great line from Oscar Wilde, um, he said, including moderation. No, no, okay, sorry. So, so everything in moderation, including moderation, was his, uh, was his line. Fabulous, right? Really, really quite, quite clever. But we're, we're, a funny, we're a funny group. Okay, we're a funny group because uh, at one level, we love this idea of moderation. But I, if I say uh, credit card debt to you, do you think that we enjoy that in moderation? If I say Netflix, do, do you think that we enjoy that in moderation? In fact, the very definition of how you watch Netflix is to what? Binge it. Okay, right. So we actually have a turn of phrase in our society for binge watching Netflix. That just, just tells you something about the kind of society that we live in. Ah, that's interesting. Uh, is there anyone at the back there? Paul, are you up there? No, no one. I'm going to run to the back of the church because my next slide won't come up. Just, just talk amongst yourselves. It's going to be wonderful and seamless. Uh, awesome, right? This, uh, out of there, press this. It's going to be brilliant. You'll like it, right? Okay, very good. Everything in moderation. You heard that. Something about Oscar Wilde. Fantastic. Very good. You're right with me, right? Okay, very good. Okay, now what about when it comes to Christianity? Well, when it comes to Christianity, we're okay with it so long as you're not too into it. Oh, I'm really glad that you've got this Christian thing going, so long as you're not too into it, right? So if you hear somebody say, and I've just picked this at random, but like if someone says, I'm a non-practicing Catholic, right? Okay, then that is a big tick from the world, isn't it? It's a big tick from the world. Now, I could say a non-practicing Protestant, but it's just not as common a turn of phrase. We don't really call it. But it's a bit like saying, I'm a non-practicing gym member. Are you with me? It's just odd, isn't it? I'm a non-practicing... Well, if you're a non-practicing gym member, it means that we never see you, right? You're not getting fit. In fact, all we're doing is taking money from you. Nothing of any benefit is actually coming your way. I'm a non-practicing... No problems. The world will just smile and nod at you, which is really odd, isn't it? Because if you say, oh, she's someone who goes every single week, then we'd say that she's a terrible zealot, wouldn't we? She's at church every single week. Oh, she's a weirdo, unless we're talking about karate, in which case she's really devoted to it. Are you with me? 
This is extraordinary, isn't it, right? So on the one level, we esteem the people who are devoted to their physical training. We diminish those who are devoted to their spiritual training. We say to people who are non-practicing religious people that they're great and that the practicing religious people are zealots. It's an odd world, isn't it? And so what I would suggest to you is that we need to find out this morning what's the right approach to Christianity? What's the right approach to Christianity? We're going to think about this morning by looking at three biblical ideas. We're going to talk this morning about salvation, about hell, and also about new life. Salvation, hell, and new life. And you're thinking, gracious, I'd like to leave now, please. Uh, Bear with me and we'll see how it goes. If you open up a dictionary, have you heard of them, dictionaries? They come in books at one point in the past. Did you know that? I just Googled this, but they, 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 but you know there are there are books, right? Dictionaries, yeah, they really are. So here's here's what it says when it comes to salvation. It says um, a way of being saved from danger, loss, or harm. But then it's got a second definition, and the second definition it says in the Christian religion, salvation of a person or uh, or their spirit is the state of being saved from evil and its effects by the death of Jesus on a cross. He goes, can I tell you, if the Cambridge Dictionary can tell me that, that's pretty good, isn't it? I'd be, I'd be really comfortable if you guys produced that outcome um, in a conversation somewhere, but that is online, the secular dictionary tells us what salvation means. I think that's actually really encouraging. But let's think about that. We know what salvation means, don't we? Is Tedesco across the line in the 79th minute? You are an odd lot, aren't you? No one knows what happened here. Is anyone excited about this? Did anyone stay seated in their seat and go, oh, that's mildly interesting? In moderation, everything in moderation? Okay, all right. For those of you who don't know, there was a state of origin game and we Queenslanded Queensland the other day, okay? That's, that's what happened. And it was really good and uh, we, we won and that was fine. But, uh, so we, we get excited about, some of us, uh, about salvation in this, in this very sporting field. But it's very hard to get our pulse racing when it comes to salvation and eternity with God. That's pretty odd. That is pretty odd. And I guess we'd ask ourselves, do I really need, do I really need salvation? Do I need that in my very ordinary life? I mean, sure, I'd love to be saved from the traffic on the M5. And if I never had to pick up the clothes in my kids' room, you know, Lord, save me. That's great. But do we really need saving in our ordinary life? Paul writes a letter to the Romans, and it was the memory verse that we used for the kids um, uh, on the big day on Friday. And and what what I want you to see is uh, is this incredible message that we put before them. Uh, Paul writes to the Romans, and he says this, But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. It is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is a message that so gripped Paul that he spent his entire life traveling around the Mediterranean, proclaiming to people who had no idea at all the good news about Jesus. He wanted them to be saved. He thought it was so vital that he poured his life out for this purpose. There was a man who was interested about the message of Jesus a man who was trying to understand what he had to say. And we're going to meet him again. If we go to John chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 to 10. So John chapter 3, I think it's on page 1064 um, in the Bibles that you might have picked up from the back. 
It says there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, Pharisee is a very religious person. He was a Jew, and uh, he was one of the high-up people in society. And so this Jewish religious man comes to Jesus. Verse 2, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. Verse 10, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? It's a really interesting interaction. And I want you to see, first of all, that he comes at night. Now, you guys are switched on Sunday morning. You're ready. Why does he come at night? Why does a high-ranking Jewish person come at night to see Jesus? Anyone know? He wanted to come in secret. He wanted to do it undercover because it's not cool with the in crowd, i.e. the ruling Jewish people, to go and find what this radical rabbi has to say. So he comes to him under cover of darkness at night. And he brings his interest and his ignorance. Uh, he really is interested to know what's going on. He can see that God's been working through Jesus, but he really doesn't understand what's going on. And when Jesus says, you must be born again, his first response is to go, that is physically going to be very awkward, isn't it, Jesus? And I, lo- I love how honest he is. I-, I love that it doesn't hide how mistaken he was. Hang on, a, a growing person can't go back into their mother's womb. That's not going to work out, Jesus. And maybe this is what you're thinking as you hear, born again. How how could that happen? Well, you've heard this turn of phrase though before, haven't you? Born again Christians, have you heard of this? It comes from here. It's Jesus saying that we need renovation from the inside out. But you might need to ask, why? Why do we need to be born again? I want to suggest to you uh, these three points that might help us to understand why a new birth, why being born again is so important. The first point is that we all sin. And I, you've probably seen me use uh, this, uh, this flag before as a, as a reference for sin. It's a pirate flag, right? And, and the terrible tragedy is that we're so counterculture these days that we actually reckon that the pirate flag is really cool, right? Come on, admit it, yeah? The pirate flag is cool. Why? It's a flag of rebellion, that the reason that you fly this flag is because you've decided that the legitimate king has no place, that you are running as rebels from the law. And, and maybe that makes us think of leather jackets and motorcycles and something and we all feel really good about ourselves, but it's actually profoundly wrong. That The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. We've all counted ourselves as rebels to God and we've said, we've raised the the, the pirate flag in our heart and said, God, we don't want you ruling here. That's the first point. We all sin. Secondly, we find out in uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians that this sin 
actually has a consequence. It's not just that we're rebels, but it impacts us. Have a listen to verse 18 of chapter 4. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. See, it's, it's not just enough that we've rebelled against God. It's that our sin separates us from Him. Here's a wonderful handy prop, isn't it? Right? Our sin, brick by brick, that we've built in our human hearts, brick by brick, we have built a wall up against God. We are stopping having fellowship with God because we are rebels against Him. So all sin, all are separated, and tragically, Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4 tells us that the price for sin is death. The punishment for our sin is death. We deserve to die, is what it says in Ezekiel 18, verse 4. We all deserve to die for our sin. Now, that is indeed a significant situation. But then we come across this word, a word that's been in our media a bit recently, hasn't it, church? Here's what it says in the dictionary. An extremely unpleasant or difficult place, situation or experience. Work is sheer hell at the moment. Right? That, that, that's how colloquially we'd use it, isn't it? Um, I, uh, there's a great turn of phrase from Winston Churchill. Uh, he says, when you're going through hell, keep going. You, yep, yep. Here's what it says underneath it. Here's the second meaning. Here's the second meaning. In some religions, the place where some people are believed to go after death to be punished forever for the bad things they have done during their lives. Now that's heavy, isn't it? This is the weighty stuff. And I think we ask ourselves, isn't this the very definition of taking it too far, right? It's one thing to say that we should die for our sins, but why hell? It's it's over the top. It's too much. Yeah? This is the very definition of taking it too far. But I want to ask you a question. Do you know who talks the most about hell in the Bible? Do you know who talks about hell the most in the Bible? Well, I'll show you on the next slide. The one who talks about hell the most in the Bible is Jesus. Does that surprise you? Jesus is the one who talks the most about hell. Have a listen to what he says in Mark chapter 9. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands go into hell where their fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, guys, there is no way to listen to that and not be shaken, is there? But what is the point? Why is Jesus speaking in this way? Is his, in- is his intention that heaven be populated with one-handed, one-legged, half-blind people? Just save you from that. The answer to that is no. That is not what he wants. But what he's saying is, if you could stop yourself from going to hell by amputating part of your body, it would be worth it because that is so terrible and life, the kingdom of God, is so glorious that you would do whatever was required to get there. Are you with me? Even to the point, if it came to it, of amputating these things. Now, can I encourage you? We would be blind, both hands, we would not be able to... You could keep cutting things off and you'll find that you won't stop sinning. The answer to that is not amputation but exaltation. 
We need to exalt. We need to glorify the Son of God. We need to honor Jesus, not just try harder not to sin. So we see here that Jesus speaks about sin and about hell. But why do we need it? Why hell? Well, let me suggest to you at least three points. My first point is justice. My first point is justice. Does anyone know uh, where this pile of shoes is from? Someone's nodding their head. Yep. Auschwitz. Holocaust. As the Germans put the Jews into the chamber, they took all their goods, all their earrings, all their gold teeth, all their shoes, and they systematically eliminated and murdered people. Now, it's horrific evil, absolutely horrific evil. Do you have a category for evil? Not just people who are bad, not just people having a bad day, but organised systematic evil. Do you have a category for that? And if you do, my question would be, what should be the punishment for those people? What should be the punishment for those people? Is it enough that because they were able to slink away, that they died happily of an old age in their beds? Is that okay? Do we want to live in a world where that's the outcome? If you want to see something tragic, have a look at the news. It's happening more and more at the moment. I see people who, uh, someone in their family has been murdered, right? And, and there's some set of circumstances where the, 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 the judgment is seven years and three years non-parole period. Have, have you seen these sort, of, these sort of outcomes from our courts? And, and, and the outcome is the family are outraged, aren't they? How, how can that equal your loss of liberty for three and a half weeks? How is that just? Are you with me? Do you know this sense of justice? The God of the universe will not let things be left like that. There is justice, and hell is about the justice of God. But more than that, it is about the glory of God. Let me see if I can explain. I was at the, um, uh, the war memorial the other day. And uh, you know, as, much as, as much as it could be, I reckon it's Australia's secular temple, right? It really is. It's a, it's, a, it's a shrine of honour, right, to people who have sacrificed their lives for our country. And we, had, we watched the last post there as the sun went down, and it is moving stuff, right? And there's a wall of all the names of those who have died for our country, okay? Now, they are held in honour, right? Imagine if that wall looked like this one for Vietnam vets in the US. How would you feel at that point? It's being graffitied. How, how do we feel? It, it's not just enough to put your tag on a, on a toilet wall, which I think is a disgrace. But when you dishonour, see, see the, the, it's, it's worse because of the honour that is due to the people there. There's an amazing book uh, called Let the Nations Be Glad by a man called John Piper. I, I love this book. It pretty much changed my life. And, and in it, he talks about Helen, who does, but he does. And it has this incredible turn of phrase in it, which really gripped me um, when, I, uh, when I read it. Uh, where's it gone? Here it is. Uh, when people repeat the centuries-old objection that eternal punishment is disproportionate to a finite life of sinning, they disregard the essential thing that Jonathan Edwards saw so clearly. Degrees of blameworthiness come not from how long you offended dignity, 
but from how high the dignity is that you offend. In other words, the reason we can't, gr- we can't grasp hell is we don't grasp the glory of God that's been offended. God is justly, rightly honouring his glory. Justice demands it. God's glory demands it. And I think the alternative demands it. If you really live in a godless world, what you are saying is that everyone gets away with it, aren't you? If there isn't an ultimate backstop, then we can live in utter rebellion, in utter evil and selfishness, and there'll be no price to pay. You will die happily in your bed, having impacted the lives of the people around you. The alternative that everyone drives away into the sunset is not just, and I don't want to live in a world like that. But let me try and persuade you a different way. Imagine that I'm cooking breakfast in my home, okay? And I've got little people in my home who have the ability to do this. Yeah? They can do this. They're they're little people, okay? And I'm cooking my breakfast, but I had to duck away from the the, the frying pan for a second, and so I'm, I'm over here somewhere. When I see a tiny little hand start reaching out, what do I do at that point? Do I say, oh, I say, excuse me, Um, can I just catch your attention for a second? I'd like to point out that the cooking device in front of you has some heat in it, and that should your tiny little hand touch it, you might inadvertently experience a sensation of pain that might shoot through your body and might cause blisters to rise up on your fingertips. Would I do that? Would you do that? What do we do when we see the kid about to put the hand on the frying pan? Stop! Get your hand off that, you'll be burnt. What does the kid do at that point? <gasps> right? They, they collapse on the floor, right? They collapse on the floor and they've had a terrible fright, but hopefully they're not burnt, yes? They've had a terrible fright, but hopefully they're not... How did you speak? Even though you spoke strongly, even though you scared them, what was the motivation? Why did you speak to them? To protect them and because you love them. How did they experience that speech? Oh, that's yelling at me. I want you to think very carefully about this. I want you to think very carefully about this. Why did Jesus speak about hell? Because it's a terrible reality. Because he doesn't want you to go there. He literally wants to scare the hell out of you. This is what Jesus said. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for a friend. Do you know Jesus does this? It's the most famous verse in the Bible, isn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The the cross behind me is there because the God who warned us about hell doesn't want us to go. At extraordinary personal cost, Jesus died that we might not go. You see, verse 17 tells us, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Don't go. Don't go there. The warning is scary. No two ways about it. The warning is loving. And the cross proves both. God's extraordinary love and the scariness of the cross. You see, if it didn't matter, if our sin didn't matter, why the bloody death of Jesus? 
A huge price had to be paid to free us from our sins. And hell explains why. What about new life? What about new life? Well, what's new? Something recently created or started to exist recently, fair enough. Uh, Life, the period between birth and death. Nice, okay, we're looking for a new one of those. Uh, how, How does that work? How would I start one? Well, we spoke with the kids here in this place, 120 of them spread out, in the, 117 of them spread out on the floor here. And here's what we got them to say, that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what we got them to say. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So what do you need to do to start this new life? We need to declare Jesus is Lord. That's taking down the pirate flag and raising the flag of Jesus in your heart. And we need to be those who believe that God raised him from the dead because the cross wasn't the final word. The tomb is empty. New life, eternal life is before us because death is beaten. Death is beaten. And then you say to me, all right, so it's a set of magic words, is it? I can just say Jesus is Lord and I'm going to go to heaven. Well, this is where parenting helps us, right? With understanding God. Because imagine I had some hypothetical children, hypothetical children, right? And they hypothetically had a fight, hypothetically, of course. And I say to my hypothetical daughter, uh, you need to say sorry to your brother for hitting him. And she says, sorry. Do I believe her? Does she get to go away happily? No, she does not. Why? Did, Did she say sorry to her brother? But what was the problem? It's in here, isn't it? Here's the thing. If I as a parent won't be tricked by my child mouthing some words to me, why will the eternal God of the universe be fooled by people who say Jesus is Lord and don't mean it? You can rest easy. No one will trick their way into heaven. Are you with me? So if you say Jesus is Lord, you are installing him as God in your heart. Or you're not, but you won't trick God with what you say. So, what would it mean if I started a truly new life? Well, God won't just say, great, fresh start for you, Uh, work really hard not to sin. Here's what he says, it's amazing. He says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. What God says is, everyone whose life is made new, he doesn't abandon. He says, I will come and live in you. By the person of my Holy Spirit, I will fill you. I will empower you to live my way. Isn't that beautiful? You want to know why this church is called New Life? Because we want that for you. We want those of you who know it already to be living a new life, one that is unrecognizable from the previous you because you're transformed from the inside out. So where does that leave us? Well, we talked today about salvation. You heard something about hell. And, I, I, you know, it's been, Mr. Falau has put that front and center for us, hasn't he? Yeah? But I want you to see today, he didn't invent it, and although he might have bungled it, here's the awesome thing. Jesus spoke about it. And he spoke about it that you and I might not go there. Have a listen to this amazing verse. At the end of John 3, in verse 36, it says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. We have a choice today. This is what we said to the kids. You have to choose. 
See these big question marks all over the, the thing here? Kids, you've got to choose. You've got to choose whether you'll believe in Jesus or whether you'll reject him. And eternity depends on your choice. So how committed will you be? I was driving into Oran Park the other night and I saw this uh, billboard and I loved it. Reached out my phone, took the picture. There's a new office tower being put up uh, in Oran Park. And I just, I couldn't resist it, right? Have, have a look at what it says up here. It's 65% committed. How wonderful, right? Much more than half of the building's already been sold. It's not been built yet. That is worth putting on a billboard. However, it is not worth saying to God, hey God, I'm really into you. I'm pretty much, I'd say I'm 65% committed. What does that mean? We'll see you three weeks out of five? <laughs> um, what level of commitment do we owe God? I was reading uh, this story about a guy called um, Corporal Daniel um, uh, Kegren, um, who on 24th of August 2010 in Afghanistan won a Victoria Cross. And he won a Victoria Cross. Um, his little group wandered into a village in Afghanistan and came under sustained fire. They were under, they're in a battle for three hours, which is an extraordinary amount of time in actual combat. Three hours. And this guy, this guy, while his friends were pinned down, his other friend was, in, was injured, in order to clear a landing zone so they could draw, he got up from cover and ran to another place, drawing all the fire onto him. He was literally, you know, all the bullets around his feet and whatever. At, at extraordinary personal cost, he put his life on the line for others. That, that's how you get a VC, Right? this extraordinary love and sacrifice for others. How much do you reckon the guys around him owe that bloke? They gladly put his name forward for an honour because they're saying, I honour you. I honour your commitment. I'm all in for honouring what you've done for me. Right? And so I guess I want to ask us, so how much of you does Jesus deserve? I suspect it's something more than moderation. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, there are people here today, I'm sure, who have never asked you for that new life that you hold out. Father, I pray today that they might know what it is to lower the pirate flag, to say that Jesus is Lord, to believe, Father, that you raised him from the dead. And I pray that that might be true today. Father, in the same way, there are many, many here who will have said yes to Jesus years, decades ago. Father, I pray that we might know what it is to live all in for you. I pray, Father, that we might not be ashamed of the good news and that we might be those who take the, the message of new life to homes and lives and families all around us. For we pray, Lord, that Jesus would get the honour and that in your mercy that hell would be empty. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.